I did not make those, so you don't have to worry. Well, today we're going to be beginning a story in the book of Jonah. And I invite you to find the book of Jonah. It's near the end of the Old Testament. It's in the section called the Minor Prophets. You'll find a number of smaller books near the end. Uh, If you get to, it's somewhere between Obadiah and Micah. Now, if that doesn't help you, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. And I invite you to mark the book of Jonah because we're going to be in it for the next several weeks. Now, when I say the word Jonah, the word whale probably comes to your mind. People know this as the story of Jonah and the whale. It's known by many, even if you've never sat through a Sunday school class, if you've never uh, grown up in the church, there are people that are completely on church and they know all about the story of Jonah and the whale. But let me take you back down memory lane for some of you. Maybe you sat in a Sunday school class and you heard the story of Jonah and you you know that uh, God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And, And Jonah said, no. And he went down and he got on a boat and he got on this boat that was heading to Tarshish. Now, Jonah thought he was getting away from God, but God said, oh, not so fast, Jonah. And he sent a storm, right? We We heard about this big storm that was sent and the waves got really bad and the sailors on the boat were scared about what was happening and they thought they were all going to die and they began praying and making vows and and trying to find ways to uh, appease the gods. And then Jonah finally told them, well, it's the, the God that I serve and it's me that is running from God. And they said, well, how can you do this? And they tried to get back to shore, but still they couldn't get back. And finally, what Jonah said is, you need to throw me overboard. And so they threw Jonah into the sea. And uh, as soon as they did, the, the sea stopped. Now, Jonah, you'll recall, was about to drown. He was going under. And at that moment, God sent this whale to save Jonah. And uh, he came to swallow Jonah up. Now, if that's what you know about the story of Jonah, today what I want to do is take you beyond the flannel graph. I want to take you to what this story is really all about. Now, when I say this story, I want you to understand the word story doesn't mean it's something that's not true, that it's made up, that it's just this little children's fairy tale or fable, as some people think the story of Jonah is. This is a real Story. This is something that God recorded for us. He revealed it and he made sure it was contained in the Bible so that we would know. Jonah is a real person, a prophet. He's mentioned in other books of the Bible like 2 Kings where we see him prophesying. Jesus himself talked about Jonah. So we know that this is a real and a factual story. Now, you may be thinking, oh, come on, Roger. I mean, am I really to believe that some big whale came and swallowed up Jonah? that this man was swallowed alive, that he was saved by a whale. Well, what I want you to first of all understand is that the Bible never tells us there was a whale that swallowed Jonah. When, when we read the Bible, what it tells us is that there was a gadol dag, a great fish. I want you to look with me at Jonah chapter 1 uh, in verse 17. There it says in Jonah 1.17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we read that God appointed a fish. And it's a very interesting Hebrew word that's used there because it means to assign a servant a particular position 
or duty. That word's going to show up three more times in Jonah chapter 4. There what we're going to see is that it, it describes how God controls his creation. And what God controls here is a part of his creation. Is it a whale? Is it a fish? What is it? What I want us to remember, friends, is that God created everything. God is a God of miracles, and he made everything. And if he wanted to make a special fish, a a gadol dag, this this great fish, if he wanted to use an existing whale, there are different species of whales that are more than capable of swallowing a man, as we'll see in a moment. But what we need to understand is that God created this fish. He appointed it, and he assigned it a special duty, submarine duty. And he said, there's this guy named Jonah that I want you to go and pick up. He's a prodigal prophet, and he's on the run. And your orders are to go and get him and bring him back to where he belongs. Now, it says that it's a great fish here. Matthew uh, records for us, Jesus Christ himself was speaking of this in Matthew 12, 40. There Jesus referred to this great fish, and he used the word ketos. This is a, a, a Greek word, and it's called a hapoxlegomena. It's a unique word that is found only one time in the whole of the Scripture. And what Jesus did, he could have used a variety of words to speak of a specific species of fish. But what he simply wanted us to know is there was a fish, and it was a huge fish. The word is sometimes translated as a sea monster. Again, what was this? We, we don't know. We don't know what it was. It could have been a whale. It could have been something else. But friends, if God's son himself told me that it was a real fish, that's good enough for me. Now, I know some of you may be sitting here saying, well, Roger, I'm not sure it's good enough for me. I mean, you you, you want me to expect to believe that a, a, a great fish swallowed a man. Well, I'm not sure if I can swallow that. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of evidence, because the Bible tells us that we are to have faith. Faith, Hebrews defines as believing in something that we know is true, even though we haven't quite seen it. And so uh, what I want you to understand is this is not blind faith. There, there is evidence. There are actually uh, documented cases of men who have been swallowed uh, by whales. Now, ultimately, as I said, you're going to have to take it on faith. But In 1933, there was a sulfur-bottom whale that measured over 100 feet long that was captured off Cape Cod. And this thing's mouth was more than 12 feet wide. It could swallow a horse. So there there are whales that exist like this. this These whales have multiple stomach compartments. They also have a sinus cavity that is 7 feet wide, 7 feet long, and 14 feet high. I mean, this easily provides all the necessary uh, space and air that would be needed to keep a man alive. There was a newspaper called the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and it carried a report by Dr. Ransom Harvey about a dog that had been lost overboard from a ship, and it was found six days later alive and barking in the sinus cavity of one of these whales. Now, next time you have a pounding headache, think about a dog... (laughs) Barking in your head for six days. Now, in the Mediterranean Sea, which we'll find is where the story of Jonah takes place, there have been numerous, several large animals that have been found in the stomachs of whales. These have included a horse, a reindeer that was missing its horns, a sea cow the size of an ox, all showing that a man could be swallowed whole. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, maybe a man could be swallowed, but could he really live? 
Well, in February of 1891, there was a whaling ship called the Star of the East, and it lost a sailor by the name of James Bartley overboard while they were trying to harpoon a whale near the Falkland Islands. Two days later, this whale was, was captured, and as they were processing it, they found this sailor Bartley alive but unconscious in the stomach of the whale. The only damage that Bartley suffered was that his skin was spotted and bleached by the gastric juices that he had been exposed to for those two days. This report of Bartley's experience was confirmed by Sir Francis Fox and a famous French scientist by the name of M. de Parve. Now in 1926, Dr. Harry Rimmer, who was president of the Research Science Bureau of Los Angeles, found another case in the literary digest of a, of a sailor who had been swallowed by a whale shark near the, in the English Channel, and he was also recovered alive after a period of about 48 hours. Dr. Rimmer went and met this man and examined him, and he reported that, like Bartley, the only lasting effect of this man was that his skin was discolored, and he had lost some hair due to his exposure of the gastric juices while inside the whale for 48 hours. Now, friends, if two men that we know of, there could be more, could live for two days and nights inside the belly of a whale, could not a prophet of God, who is under the direct protection of God, last for another day in the stomach of a fish? You know, why is it that most of us can accept miracles in the Bible, like God created this huge storm and suddenly calmed it? But we have trouble believing that, that a prophet could be swallowed by some great fish that God provided. You know, rescuing a drowning man with a great fish is not a big deal to God. He created and controls everything. But as we see in the story, it was a big deal to Jonah because Jonah responds with praise. And when it comes to God's rescue, this is what the book of Jonah is all about. I told you that I want to take us beyond the flannel graph today to go to what this story is really about. And what the story of Jonah, the book of Jonah is about, is the rescue. The rescue not just of Jonah, the rescue not just of the Ninevites that God was sending his prophet to this city to preach to, but friends, it is the story of the rescue of all mankind, including you and me today. Because what the book of Jonah is about is, is about the justice of God that is then matched with his mercy and his great grace. This is a story about desperation and deliverance. It is a story about the rescue of mankind. The book of Jonah is the gospel of the Old Testament. It points us to the mercy and the great grace of God and how he saved us. As we look at the book of Jonah, what we'll find is so many people focus on this part of the story, Jonah and the whale. But friends, the whale or the gadol dag, the great fish, is only mentioned four times in the whole book. That's not the focus of the story. And then some say, well, it's the story of Jonah, the prodigal prophet. While Jonah is certainly prominent in the story, he's just a piece of it. He's only mentioned 18 times in the whole book. But God is mentioned more than three times that. And as we see God, what we see mentioned over and over is first his justice, then his mercy, and ultimately his great grace to us. And that is what the story of Jonah is about. I invite you to look with me as we begin by reading the first two verses. It says in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, 
saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, as we look at the book opening, we see the problem of sin right here, right at the very beginning. Because what God says is, the wickedness of the people of Nineveh has come up before me. It's, it's speaking of how he can smell the stench literally in his nostrils as he sees and, and sees the sin of the people. Now, these are the same words that are used in the book of Genesis to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. As God saw the wickedness of the cities there, as God prepared to destroy them in judgment. Nineveh was indeed a wicked place. It was a place that matched the things of Sodom and Gomorrah and even more so. During the time of Jonah, Nineveh was a royal residence and it became the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian and Babylonian empires, you'll recall, were very prominent in the Old Testament. These were the, the nations that, that were in control in, in, during the captivity of Israel. This city of Nineveh was located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. It's near the present-day city of Mosul in northern Iraq. And the, the Assyrians were known for their brutality. If you think of the atrocities that we've heard of happening over in Iraq before the war and even carrying on today, they make the things of Nineveh look like a picnic. The Assyrians were a people who were known for their brutality. They had made torture and killing a sport. When they would go in and they would capture a city, uh, the people who were killed during the battle were the fortunate ones because the people who lived were then tortured without mercy. They would take and they would skin the people alive and they would bury them in the desert sand up to their necks and they would pull their tongues out and they would stake them down into the sun and as, as the sun beat down on them, their tongues would swell up and they would suffocate a slow, painful death. They would, they would behead their captives and they wore them around their necks like necklaces. They piled up the bodies, the, the skulls. They would make pyramids in front of the, the conquered cities to leave as a calling card. If you read the book of Nahum, another Old Testament prophet who was written around this time, it tells us in Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that they would pile bodies upon bodies. These were the brutal people that God was sending Jonah to. Now we can look at this and we can say, well, Jonah obviously runs the other way because he's afraid that if he goes to Nineveh, these enemies of Israel, that the people there will kill him. But that's not why Jonah was running. When we get to chapter 4, we'll see that what Jonah was afraid of was not that the Ninevites would do harm to him. Rather, he was afraid that they would respond to God's message and repent. Jonah was afraid that these enemies of Israel would suddenly realize they were in sin, running from God, and they needed to stop and turn around and come to God. And Jonah knew that if the enemies of Israel did that, that God, because he is a God of mercy and grace, God would forgive them. God would forgive the enemies that he would show mercy. If you read Psalm 137, Psalm 137 is a psalm that was written uh, a few years after what we're reading here in Jonah. Jonah was written around the 8th century. And as Jonah was prophesying, doing things later, the, the nation of Israel got carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. And Psalm 137 is a psalm that was written while the people were in captivity there in Assyria. And listen to the words of it. 
It, it says as they were there in the Assyrian captivity, it says in, in Psalm 137, 1 through 3, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, that's Jerusalem. Upon the willows, in, in the midst of it, we hung our harps, for our captors demanded us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing for us one of the songs of Zion. Okay, you Jews, sing, sing one of your songs of your great God, of, of his past victories. We want to hear those songs. And as they were mocking the people of Israel, they say, we would rather hang up our harps and not sing any songs. Now, as that psalm continues, we find what's called an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is where a person prays to God asking for vengeance, for God to bring justice. And this is what they say, uh, praying for God's deserved judgment against these people. In verses 7 through 9, it says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. They said, as the people said, we're going to wipe the city down to the very foundations, leaving no stone upon it. The psalmist prays, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. The psalmist is saying, God, would you take and bash the brains of the babies of the Babylonians out on a rock? That's the justice that the people of Israel wanted. So when Jonah hears that God is saying, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against their wickedness. I want you to ask that these people would turn to me. Jonah says, I don't want to go because I know God. I know they might respond. And if they respond, I know who you are and what you'll do about it. You'll forgive them. And I don't like that, God. So I would rather run the other way. Jonah says, God, I know your heart. If you read Ezekiel chapter 18, it tells us the heart of God. In Ezekiel 18, as God is dealing with the sin of his people and the pagans who were far from him, God says these words in Ezekiel 18, 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, even the most wicked people. I wish that they would repent and live. Friends, do you know that's the heart of God? There are so many times I talk to people and they say to me, Roger, I, I can't believe in your God. How can I believe in a God that will send anyone to hell? I mean, if there's a God like that, then I don't want to worship him. I don't want to serve him. And what I have to say to them is, you know, you don't know God. Because that's not God's heart. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Do you realize that, friends? We were all headed there on our own. God doesn't have to send anyone to hell. We choose to go there on our own. What God does is he plucks us from the road of destruction. He sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of death that I owe and you owe for your sins. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. Now, yes, he is also a God who is holy and just. And as a holy and just God, he cannot stand sin in his presence. When God deals with our sin, it tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to know him. 
God's desire is that nobody would go to hell. But God has given us a free will. God has given us the ability to reject him and his, his gift of grace. And when we do, we are the ones who send ourselves to hell. When you think of the, what God is calling us to, Jonah said, I'm afraid, God, if I go and I preach to the people, they will repent. The word repentance literally means to stop. The word repentance means that we stop. It, it speaks of how we realize in our mind that what we're doing is wrong. And we say, you know what, I need to stop. And I need to turn around and I need to go in the other direction. The word repentance means that we have a change of mind that also goes along with a change of will or action. When we repent, what we realize is, if, if you assume that you are close to God, and, and when we sin, what we do is we turn our back on God and we walk away from him and we walk toward our sin. Now, many of us run toward our sin. And what God says is, I want you to repent. I want you to realize the direction you are going is wrong and to stop and to turn around and to come back to me. Now, for those who have never come to faith in Jesus, they're far from God. And what God says is, wherever you are, I want you to stop. And I want you to see your need for my son that I sent to save you. And I want you to turn to him. And I want you to come home. And this is what the word repentance means for all of us. When the Bible tells us that we need to repent, it means that we need to, to realize we are in sin and we are running from God and we need to stop and we need to turn around and find the solution to our sin, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. In John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, as we're talking about this idea of repentance in the book of Jonah, it wasn't just for the Ninevites. It was for the Jews as well. You see, the book of Jonah was written about 760 B.C., and if you read through the Bible, if you look at your history in that time, what you find is it wasn't just the Ninevites, the Assyrians, who would later become the Babylonian kingdom that were in sin and rebellion, running from God. The Jews were running from God. They were in rebellion. As you read through the Bible, what you find is Jonah was a prophet who was prophesying at that time. First, he was prophesying to the nation of Israel, as you read in 2 Kings. And then God said, I'm going to send you to the Ninevites. I'm taking you out of just to my people, and I'm sending you to these foreigners. But why was God having Jonah talk to the nation of Israel? It wasn't just Jonah. If you read the book of Hosea, if you read the book of Amos, these other Old Testament prophetic books you find, they were prophesying to the people of Israel during the same time. You see, about this time, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms. The nation of Israel, the northern tribes that made up what we term Israel, had separated from the southern tribes that made up the southern kingdom of Judah. The people had split not only from each other, but they had turned their back on God. And God was sending his prophets to his people to say, you need to repent. You've been running from me. You're far from me. As you read uh, the books of Hosea and Amos, what it tells us is God said he would send the nation of Israel into captivity under the Assyrians. God said, if you don't turn to me, I will bring a tool of discipline, this foreign power to take you away into captivity. 
In Amos 5.27, it tells us, Therefore I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus. Hosea 11.5 says a similar thing, which unfortunately was fulfilled in 2 Kings 17.6. As there it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. You see, God was sending his prophets not just to the Ninevites. He was sending his prophets to his own people, the Jews, to call them back to himself. But sadly, the people of Israel did not respond. They ran from him in disobedience. And as we look at the book of Jonah, what we find is Jonah himself joins the parade of disobedience. Jonah himself became one of the sinners. One of the people saying, I'm going to turn my back on you, God, and I'm going to run away from you into what I want to do. Look at Jonah 1.3. In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. As we get further in the story, this is a map of the Mediterranean Sea area. And there is Jerusalem just below where you see Joppa. Joppa is going to be the seaport where Jonah goes to to get on this boat to head to Tarshish. Now, Joppa, he was either in or near there. Remember, he was a prophet prophesying there in the northern kingdom of Israel. And what God says is, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh, as you see on that map, is to the northeast about 500 miles up from where Jonah is. It's inland along the Tigris River, and we'll talk more about that as we get further in the book. But what God says is, I want you to go from where you are 500 miles to the northeast. And what Jonah says is, no, I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Tarshish was on what was known as the farthest point of the Western civilized world. In other words, Jonah said, there is no farther place than I can go than Tarshish. It would be like God telling us, uh, I want you to go down to Mexico City. And we said, you know, I'm going to go all the way to the northern part of Canada, right along the border of the Yukon Territory. As far as I can get from where you told me to go, God, that's where I'm going. That was Jonah. He ran and headed in the opposite direction. As we look at this map of how he tries to run from God, what we're going to see next week is no matter how far our sin may take us, no matter how far we think we can run from God, we can't get away from God. God's love and his grace for us is even greater than our greatest sin. And he shows that by coming after us to bring us home. Jonah was one who was running from God, and God went after him. The Jews were running from God, and God sent prophets to go after them. The Ninevites were far from God and didn't even know who God really was. And God said, in my mercy, I will send a messenger to you to call you to myself. And friends, God does the same thing for us today. Now, you may say, well, Roger, you know, my sins aren't that bad. I mean, come on. Jonah, all he did was he said, no, God, I'm not going there. I'm running away. The, the Ninevites, I mean, they were torturing. They were killing. They were mass murderers. They were massacring and wiping out people. I mean, can we really compare Jonah's sin to the Ninevites? Well, it depends whose standard you use, doesn't it? 
You see, we like to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as that other person. You know, that, that person in the cubicle next to me at work, I hear what they did all weekend, and I was in church. I'm not as bad as they are, right? The, the person we see at school in the classroom next to us, we hear about their exploits and the things they're doing, and we say, you know, I'm not, I'm not as bad as they are. My neighbors, if I could tell you the stories about my neighbors... You see, what we do is we set up a standard where we say, I'm not as bad as somebody else. But friends, may I remind you that the standard God uses is not mine or yours. The standard that God uses is one of perfection. And what Romans 3.23 tells us is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is God's perfection. And so when we sin, what does this word sin mean? Sin is an archery term. And sin literally means to miss the mark. If you were to take 100 arrows and you were to shoot them at a target and aim for the bullseye and you were to get 99 arrows right in the center ring of the bullseye, you and I would say, man, that is great shooting. But what the archery judge would do when they walked up to score our target is they would say, you sinned. You missed the mark. You were not perfect. If we've ever lied once, if we've ever taken one cookie, if we've ever cheated on a test, or any other way that we've done something in disobedience, we're sinners. Romans 3.10 tells us, there is none righteous, no, not one. I was talking to a man once, and, and we, I had him read that passage because he was telling me, you know, he was, he was good. And he read that, and he said, well, that's not right. I don't, I don't like that one. <laughs> and I said, there's none righteous, not even you. And so if we try to base things upon our standard, what God says is, you're going to fall short of my standard. You know, as we look at the Ninevites, compared to Israel, they were much worse But God said, they're sinning and so are the the Jews. And when we look at Jonah, he could say, you know, I'm not like the Jews. I've only got this one little disobedience where you said, go here. And I said, I'm going to go there. And what God says is, you've all sinned. None of us are good enough. And because of that, we have a problem. Because with the penalty of sin... When we sin, there's a penalty we owe. It's called death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn. If we think we can earn our way to God by being good enough, doing enough things that will please him, we could say, well, look at Jonah. He's he's been a faithful servant of God all these years. He just had this one time. He said, God, I'm not going to do what you want. What God says is, when we sin, we owe a penalty, a penalty of death. Now, the good news is that verse goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God is holy. God is just. Sin must be dealt with. There is a penalty of death that has to be paid. But God, because of his mercy... God, because of his great grace, said, I will pay the penalty. I will send my son, my son Jesus, to go to the cross to die, to pay the penalty of death. 
That is the gift of grace. As we look at this story, it is not just a story of God's justice where he said to the Ninevites, you're in sin and it will be dealt with. It was not just the Jews who were in rebellion or Jonah that was running. It is you and I today. And what God says is, you deserve justice, but I will give mercy. Friends, do you realize God's mercy was shown right there in the first verses of Jonah? It said the Ninevites were in sin. God could have just said, wipe them out, get rid of them. But God said, I will show mercy. I will show mercy by sending a messenger to the people to warn them of the judgment that is coming. As we talk about our terms, justice is getting what we deserve. What the Ninevites deserved was death. They had killed so many people. They were deserving of death. Remember, Jonah, the psalmist, others were saying, God, give them what they deserve. They deserved justice, and they did. And so, did, so too did the Jews. And so too did Jonah. And so too do you and I today deserve God's justice. Because when we sin, the wages of sin is death. But God showed mercy to the Ninevites by saying, I will send a prophet to warn you of the upcoming judgment. God showed mercy to Jonah. So when he was running from God, God said, I will give you a second chance. As we go through the book, we'll see that God hits the reset button with Jonah. He has him swallowed up. God could have said, you know, Jonah, you've been running from me. You're gone. I'm going to let you drown, and I'm going to raise up another prophet. He had Hosea. He had Amos. He's got, he, he can raise up more prophets. You didn't want to do what I asked you. I'm done with you, but no. God said, I will show mercy. I will send this great fish to swallow you and give you time to think it over. And we'll talk about how Jonah thought it over next week. As he's sitting there in the belly of the, the great fish, with the gastric juices sloshing all over him in darkness. And you can imagine the dry heaves he's had as he's just sitting there and he's at the end of himself. And finally, finally, he says, okay, God, I'll do it. God showed mercy to the Ninevites, to the Jews, to Jonah. And God shows mercy to us today. As you think about your own life today, are you deserving of judgment? You know, Jonah said, hey, they deserve to die, and they did. But what about Jonah? Jonah was in sin. Jonah was in rebellion and running from God. And what about us today? Now, here's a spoiler alert. When we get later in the book of Jonah, you know what we're going to find? The Ninevites repent. The Ninevites will actually respond when Jonah goes to Nineveh and he shares the message of judgment. They respond. And they turn to God. You know, this past Tuesday night, there are so many great things happening at Wayside. Just last week, we had this night where we talked about some of our missionary partners, the Unos and all that God is doing around the world with them impacting entire nations through their ministry. And you heard about the, the work that Rick and I got to do as we saw our missionary partners in Africa. And, and one of those partners will actually be here next week. And something else that's happening right here in our city that's exciting, through the gifts that y'all give to support the ministries of Wayside, it's not just what happens here on our campus every Sunday. 
On the University of Texas San Antonio campus Tuesday night, we, we not only support one of the, the campus director for the city of San Antonio through Campus Crusade for Christ, now called CREW, but we also sponsored an evangelistic outreach where they brought in this special speaker and, and they did this thing called Maze. And they were expecting around 400 students. They had a room reserved that would hold 400. They had over 500 students pack into this room. It was standing room only. And at the end of the gospel presentation, 80, over 80 of those students came to faith in Jesus Christ on the University of Texas campus. Yeah, you can clap. That's good. And if we get excited about 80 people coming to God, in the book of Jonah, over 120,000, 120,000 people will repent and will turn back to God. Now, you would think a prophet of God, Jonah, a guy who spends his life sharing God's word, would say, this is reason for celebration. But let me give you a preview of his response. Chapter 4, verse 2. It says in Jonah 4.2, this is his response. Jonah prayed to the Lord. This is after the people come to him, to God. And he said, please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Oh my gosh, how unfair you are, God. <laughs> you know, we can shake our heads and say, what is wrong with you, Jonah? You're complaining about the mercy, about the compassion, about the grace of God. God, I knew you were going to save these people. I didn't want to come here. I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> now, if we're shaking our heads saying, what is wrong with Jonah? What about us? Have you ever done something similar? Have you ever heard about somebody being blessed in some amazing way? And you immediately think, well, that's not fair. I mean, why didn't God give that blessing to me instead of them? I'm more deserving than them. Or, or we hear about some enemy of ours who comes to faith. And again, our response is, well, that's not fair, God. They were deserving of judgment. Is that how we respond? Or do we say, praise God? Praise God for his great mercy and grace. That he would take this person who was so far from him, so wicked, so lost, and he would snatch them and bring them to himself. <coughs> Friends, have you ever felt that way? If you do, I want you to remember God's great grace for you and for me. Because while we may not be as bad as that other person we're thinking about, we were as far from God as we could be because we were sinners. We had fallen short of God's standard of perfection. We were lost. We were hopeless ourselves until God showed mercy and grace for me and for you and giving his son to go to the cross and pay the penalty of sin to reconcile you and me to bring us home the Bible tells us that our salvation 
is based not upon justice, getting what we deserve. It's, it's not even based upon mercy. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy would be simply God saying, okay, you're not going to have the eternal punishment you deserve. God goes even farther than not giving us what we deserve. He gives us grace, which is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, for by grace you have been saved. For by grace you've been saved. What does that mean that we've been saved? You've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. A gift is something that is given, not purchased by us, not deserved by us. It is simply given. We didn't deserve Adoption into the family of God. Remember John 1.12 said, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. We have been brought into the family of God, made sons and daughters through the gift of God's son, Jesus Christ. The one who said the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who paid my penalty and yours. We have been given grace. God didn't do it because we deserved it. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in rebellion, while we were running from God, while we were far from him, while we were like Jonah, out here lost and running, God showed grace in coming after us. And he saved us through the gift of his son. Now, I said in the beginning that this message in the book of Jonah is the gospel of the Old Testament. I want to show you a tie-in to the New Testament gospel. If you look at the gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, we find this. It tells us in Matthew 12, 39 through 41, Jesus there was dealing with the religious leaders of his day who were rejecting him. And Jesus said, no other sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Friends, all the Ninevites had was a prophet of God. We've been given the Son of God. And the testimony of all the prophets through the ages, we have the full revealed Word of God in our hands called the Bible. And Jesus, the Son of God, said, I will come and have come, and I will go to the cross and I will die. And I will be buried in a tomb, but three days later I will rise from the dead, showing I have conquered sin and death and Satan. And he says to us, what will you do with this gift of great grace? Will you respond to it and receive it? Or will you be like the religious leaders and reject it? Jesus said, on the day of judgment, if you reject this great gift of grace, there will be testimonies against you And it will be the Ninevites. 
the wicked people who were so far from God, that were so lost, that, that had no hope, and they heard the good news, and they responded to it, and they repented. They turned from their sin, and they turned to God. And Jesus says, you will be without excuse. If you reject God's great gift of grace today, you're without excuse because you've been given the sign of something so much greater, so much greater than a man that was swallowed by a great fish and spit up on dry land later. Friends, the question today when it comes to the book of Jonah is, what have you done with God's gift of great grace? This isn't some fairy tale or fable for you to say, oh, that's a nice story. This is a story of God's great grace and redemption. It is a story of desperation and deliverance. It is a story of how we were deserving of judgment, God's justice. And then he gave us mercy. And even more than that, he gave us grace as he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. The question today is, have you received God's great gift of grace to you? Have you said to God, I am a sinner. I've been running from you, God. I've been far from you. But today, God, I realize I need to stop. I need to turn around and I need to come home. And I need to come to the cross of Jesus where you, Jesus, paid the penalty of death for me. And today, God, I'm accepting that great gift of grace. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Have you taken that step of faith? If you haven't, I want to end today by giving you that opportunity. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. But what you do have to do is humble yourself in your heart and say to God, God, I am a sinner. I recognize today, God, that while I've been better than a lot of people, I've still fallen short of your great standard. And because I'm a sinner, I owe a penalty of death. And today, God... I'm turning to you for the payment you made on my behalf. You died in my place, Jesus. And you showed that you canceled the penalty of death by rising from the dead three days later. If you'd like to receive God's great gift of new life, pray this prayer with me, please. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm somebody who's disobeyed you at some point in my life. I've made mistakes, and I realize that because of those mistakes, I owe a penalty called death. I thank you, God, that you are a God of mercy and grace who pursued me by leaving your throne in heaven to come to earth to take my place by going to the cross to pay that penalty of death that I owed. And today, Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm not running from you anymore. I'm stopping and I'm turning around and I'm coming home. I'm accepting you, Jesus, to be my Savior. And I thank you, God, for accepting me into the family, for making me now a son, a daughter of yours, based upon the great gift of grace that Jesus paid on my behalf. Thank you, God, for making me a part of your family. May you help me now, Lord, to live for you. I pray this in the name of my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, there are prayer leaders at the front. There will be people in the Welcome Center. I'll be here. We would love to hear that you've just taken that step. 
to help you to begin to grow in your new life with Christ. Now, for the rest of us who have done that in the past, I want you to remember that during this season where we celebrate all the blessings we have as we celebrate this week the gift of thanksgiving, to thank God for the gift of his great grace, to say to him, thank you, God. This is the best gift I could ever have, and I'm so thankful that you gave it to me. And for all of us who have received that gift, may we be faithful to share it with our family members and others we will see this week who maybe are far from God to help them know the way home as well. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You're dismissed.